Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Avery Truffleman, host of Articles of Interest. And I've got to say, I've been a fan of KQED ever since I was a little kid, and I would come out to San Francisco to visit my grandma. It was just What we'd always turn on every time we got in the car, every time we were making dinner and turning on the radio, was always KQED. And then over the years, I've become a massive fan of KQED podcasts because this is local reporting at its best. These are answers to questions you've always wanted to know, interviews with exciting, unusual voices, necessary journalism, all told with love and care and artistry. And did you know that a majority of KQED's funding actually comes from members? It's just people like you and me supporting the programs they love while also getting access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. If you want to sign up and be a part of this amazing community, visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to become a member today. That's podcasts with an S. Thank you for listening, and thank you for your support. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, I'm Mina Kim. Coming up on Forum, nearly half of California is mired in exceptional drought, including vast swaths of the Central Valley, which produces roughly 40% of the nation's fruits, vegetables, and nuts. Water shortages in the region are having profound effects on growers, who are uprooting crops, letting fields lie fallow, or turning their lands into solar farms and other uses. We'll hear from farmers about how the drought is affecting them and the steps they're taking to contain the damage. Join us. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. The drought is hitting California agriculture hard this year. Farmers say they're taking unprecedented steps to deal with having much less water, with immediate impacts on workers and local communities, and broad implications for the nation's food supply and prices. Joining us first this hour are two farmers, Joe Delboski, CEO of Delboski Farms in Firebaugh, California. Joe, welcome to Forum. Good morning. Thank you for having me on. Really glad to have you on. Also with us is Don Cameron, Vice President and General Manager of Terra Nova Ranch in Helm, California, also President of California State Board of Food and Agriculture. Don Cameron, glad to have you on as well. Good morning. Great to be with you today. I want to start with you, Joe Delboski, if I could. Tell us a little bit about you, what crops you farm, how you got started. Well, my farm, first of all, is on the west side of Fresno and Merced counties. Um, I've been involved in farming all my life. Uh, My father was a farm worker out here on the west side in Imperial Valley. In fact, they were migrant workers in the 30s and 40s. Uh, I started my farm in 1986. Um, Because I'd worked on the farm uh, with my father growing melons, that became uh, my signature crop. Uh, and today, that is our, our major crop. We do all of our melons uh, organically, actually, uh, which includes cantaloupe, honeydew, watermelon, and a specialty melon called the gallia. 
Um, we also have almonds. We've been doing some organic sweet corn, and we have a partnership with some other growers and some cherries. Mm. Well, well, tell us how the drought has affected your crops. Well, all of our, just about all of our land is uh, in the uh, Central Valley Project. So we are what everybody likes to call junior water rights holders. So mm. we're like the last ones to get water and the first ones to get cut. So this year we got zero water from the Bureau of Reclamation that provides us with water, uh, which our water comes from uh, Shasta Reservoir up in the north. It comes down the Sacramento River into the Delta picked up in pumps there and brought down to oh. San Luis Reservoir by the Delta Mendota Canal. And then from the Delta Mendota, it comes to us. So we have zero water. And so we've had to um, uh, look at, uh, toward other uh, irrigation districts uh, that have higher water rights and purchase water from them. If it hadn't been for that, the ability to do that, to buy from other farmers, we would not be able to farm today. Have you had to reduce the amount of land you're farming? <clears throat> yes, we absolutely have. Uh, we've cut back our, our melon program. Um, we also had to cut out. We've been growing uh, asparagus for 20 years, and we, we took that out. We removed mm -hmm. the asparagus to try to save our melon program because that's, that's where our, our largest focus is. So we sacrificed that crop. Um, and we may also have to sacrifice the sweet corn crop next year. Have you ever had to do anything like that before, Joe Delboski? We've never had to destroy crops. Uh, we've mm -hmm. always um, been able to program our planting according to our water supply uh, because usually we, we know the, the news or bad news by March or so. And in the past, we've programmed what we can do with it. Um, this year, because, um, because there have some of the water transfers that we were uh, expecting to have, water transfers, this is water that we bought from other farmers, uh, has been detained in the reservoirs in the north by the Bureau and possibly the, um, the water board. They're holding that water for environmental flows. So that water we were expecting, we planted crops according to, um, you know, the, our ability to get that transfer here in time for the crops. And that, that water is being held until possibly October. So we, we've never gone through that before. We've always gotten our water in time mm. uh, up until this year. Well, Don Cameron, you too, as I understand it, are experiencing first-time impacts, particularly with your tomato crop. Can you first talk a little bit about your farm as well, what, what you grow and what you're experiencing as a result of the drought? Sure. We, uh, we farm about 25 different crops. Um, we grow a lot of tomatoes, processing tomatoes, um, different varieties of peppers. Uh, if you like sriracha sauce, we grow some of the peppers that go into, the, uh, into that product. Uh, we also grow carrots, onions, um, a lot of minor, very minor specialty crops, including uh, lettuce for seed production. Um, and then we also grow um, almonds, walnuts, pistachios, and wine grapes. Uh, we are primarily groundwater pumped uh, in our region. Mm. 
we have about 5% in a, in a quote normal year of surface water. So we have depended on, on the groundwater um, for years and uh, we are in a critically overdrafted basin, which means we are now um, dealing with sustainable groundwater management, which means that we need to make our region sustainable. So we need to stop the decline in, in uh, groundwater. Uh, so we, we have been very proactive and have developed a groundwater recharge uh, system and uh, put in canals and infrastructure uh, to bring flood water on farm to actually recharge our groundwater so that we can be more sustainable in the future and, and uh, have a, a much better supply of groundwater. Given all those efforts, though, were you able to get the yields you expected? Uh, no, but it, it's been more of a issue with climate. Uh, huh. We have, the heat. We have seen the heat. Uh, we had 114 degree heat in in early June, which uh, caused our tomato plants to abort the flowers and uh, essentially come up with a with a yield lower than we've seen in the 40 years that I've been farming. Wow. Well, I want to bring. Ellen Hennick into the conversation, Vice President and Director of the PPIC Water Policy Center and a Senior Fellow at the Public Policy Institute of California. Ellen Hennick, thanks so much for joining us. My pleasure. Nice to be here. It's in listening to Don Cameron and Joe Dalboski telling us what they're experiencing, it's making me realize that, I mean, we've been in drought times before, but there really are circumstances that have led this drought to feel particularly acute and, and led to farmers making some unprecedented decisions. Can you just sort of give us an overview of, of what's what's been happening? What are the different things that are really coming together to hit the Central Valley as hard as it is this year? Well, that, that's a good question. And because it, it's true that you know, California is used to having droughts. Right. I mean, we have a very we have the most variable climate in the in the U.S. Uh, and all of the, the growers on, on, the, on this call have have experience with that. What's changing is that we're getting droughts combined with extreme heat. And um, that just makes that that just makes everything harder to manage. And so so the issues that that Don raised about the heat directly making it harder to, to, to grow certain plants. That's, that's one issue. But then the issue that Joe raised of the, basically it's, it's the heat that's compounding the drought that, that's making it hard for him to, to get water uh, transferred from, from Northern California. Um, because what, what's happened is that our snowpack ended up disappearing three to four weeks earlier than it normally would have for, the, for a given amount of snowpack. Um, and so the, the reservoir management up in Northern California has just been tremendously difficult. Oroville, which is one of our, our big ones, um, has gotten is at historic lows to the point where they can't do hydroelectric um, power right now. And so it's kind of on the fly in real time, the management of this of this emergency is is just changing, changing how how people are being able to to manage the re the remaining drops, which are shrinking because of the heat. Yes. And then as a result as well, we've been hearing about farmers 
taking steps like uprooting crops or letting fields lie fallow. Joe Delbowski, you were saying that you had to pull asparagus. I'm curious what happens to to farm workers, to to workers when less acreage is being planted, when crops are being pulled up? That, that asparagus, for instance, um, it sustained 70 people for about two months. Um, and in the early spring when there aren't a lot of jobs uh, here in this area. So those jobs are going to be gone. Those folks will probably have to migrate somewhere else to look for work. So less hours, less pay, a shorter season, it sounds like. Those are all really, uh, th- those all have really big impacts, right, Joe Dalboski? Absolutely, yes. You know, farm workers, um, you know, because they're mostly seasonal, um, a lot of times they don't have much work in the wintertime. So when there is work in the spring or summer, they, they really depend on uh, maximizing all they can work during that period so that they can sustain themselves through the, through the winter. And John Cameron, what about local communities? How do they feel these effects? You know, we, we've seen uh, some land retirement near us in the past and the local communities suffer. Uh, you see half of uh, some of these small towns boarded up. Um, you don't see the, uh, the economy increasing. It, uh, it, it's really difficult for the communities. It's hard for our workers. Um, but, you know, it, it actually stretches even beyond, beyond our, our local reach here. Uh, you know, so many of the crops are exported and go through the Port of Oakland or uh, Long Beach. So uh, the effect is is really far reaching within California. Yes, it is broad, vast. And I want to invite you, our listeners who are listening to this program, to, to call in or write in with your concerns. You can do so at 866-733-6786. Again, 866-733-6786. You can get in touch on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum. You can email us, forum at kqed.org. Perhaps you're a farmer or work in agriculture and want to share how you've been affected by the drought, or maybe you have questions about agricultural water use or, or broader concerns about the impact of the drought on agriculture. We're talking with Joe Delboski of Delboski Farms and Firebot, Don Cameron, Vice President and General Manager of Terranova Ranch and Helm. And, and Helen Hennick is with us, Vice President and Director of the PPIC Water Policy Center and a Senior Fellow at the Public Policy Institute of California. They'll be with us for more after the break. I'm Mina Kim. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. 
Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking about the drought's impact on agriculture with Don Cameron, president of the California State Board of Food and Agriculture, vice president and general manager of Terra Nova Ranch in Helm. Joe Del Bosque is with us, CEO of Del Bosque Farms in Firebaugh, California. And Ellen Hannock, vice president and director of the PPIC Water Policy Center, a senior fellow for the Public Policy Institute of California. You, our listeners, join the conversation if you as well have thoughts about the drought's impact on agriculture or questions about water. You Are you a farmer or someone who works in agriculture? What is something you would like to share about how you've been affected by the drought? 866-733-6786 is our number. 866-733-6786. Email us, forum at kqed.org, or get in touch on Twitter or Facebook at KQED Forum. This listener writes, if we get a say in water allocation, I would choose food over golf courses. Uh, and uh, we also have another comment, and some of these are actually gathered from our science team at KQED, and Ezra David Romero, who put out a question to listeners about what they'd like to know about the drought. And of course, several questions came back specifically about agriculture. Ellen Hennick, I want to put uh, one of those questions to you. Philip writes, how much of the state's water goes to agriculture? Ah, <laughs> <That> <laughs> simple question, a, hard answer. Simple, simple question, hard answer. Um, and sometimes it's a it's a question that people fight fight about the <laughs> the way you interpret the answer. But you know, in, in very broad terms, um, on average, uh, statewide, if you take the whole pie of water that's allocated to cities, to farms, and to the environment, um, farms use about forty percent. Uh, urban areas, you know, the communities use about 20% and the environment uh, is allocated about half. But then that varies a lot by region and it varies a lot by the type of year. Um, so, uh, you know, in, in the Bay Area, cities are, you know, urban areas, uh, or urban urban users are, are pretty much using all the water. Um, in, in the San Joaquin R uh, River region and the Tulare, in the San Joaquin Valley, where, where the growers that are on the call with us are, Agriculture is is the, the the big name of the game, so that's that's a very big share. Um, but so so you know, I think the, the important thing to to know is that we have a really big agricultural sector in California. Um, it's a great uh, boost to the the regional economy. We all enjoy the food, um, and the food goes to a lot of the rest of the country and and rest of the the world. The reason it's a really effective agricultural sector is because we can irrigate um, and we can add water to, to good land and, and good sunshine. Um, so that takes water. Uh, you know, there's no, there are no two ways about that. Well, let me go to Julia in San Rafael. Hi, Julia. Hi. Thank you. Um, I'm just wondering um, if, from what I've heard, almonds as a crop take quite a bit of water to grow. And if that's true, um, why are we still growing so many almonds when we're having uh, a drought, a major water crisis? Uh, Julia, thanks. You're not the only person who's asked about almonds. Another listener asked, can we export our almond growing infrastructure and expertise to the southeastern states and move to less thirsty crops? Don Cameron, I think you mentioned that you grow almonds. Can you talk a little bit about the almond and how you use your water to grow almonds? Sure. Um, really, with all of our crops, we, we have taken measures years ago to um, be very conservative with 
the water we put on all of our crops. And we use subsurface drip irrigation on our specialty row crops. We use drip irrigation on all of our trees, all of our vines. And uh, because almonds are the largest uh, acreage crop grown in the state, they have, they've had a lot of focus on them over the years. Uh, water, water is used judiciously by all crops that we grow. Uh, and I think that as growers, we're very careful with the water we do put on. Uh, almonds cannot grow in the southeastern U.S. Um, and be productive. Uh, we have a national treasure, really a worldwide treasure in the uh, Central Valley that makes it ideal for growing crops that cannot be grown in other regions. And growers have shifted toward almonds because uh, financially it's been a, a very good return over the years. And we're able to provide better jobs, better pay for our employees um, if, if we do well. Uh, and really any crop we grow uses water. Um, and I don't think almonds use really, uh, there, there's other crops out there that use more water than almonds, but uh, because they are the number one crop here and uh, the acreage is high, they have been the focus uh, or the target of some of the uh, the conversations on water over the years. Yeah, Ellen Hennick, does the almond deserve to be as maligned as it is, <laughs> especially in drought years? Right. Well, yeah, I, th I think, you know, people are, are kind of, you know, Don made the point that it, it's, it's a very large, um, there's a lot of acreage in almonds right now. So uh, it, it's, you know, that, that is sort of what attracts some of the attention, but um, the economics of, of farming is, you know, every, every year farmers have to, to think about, think ahead to where are they going to make the best use of the water and the land uh, and the other resources they put they put into to, to growing things and almonds has has do really well in California and there's a really strong market for them so that's led to their expansion um, overall in California what we've seen in the last 30 years is is a significant shift toward tree crops or what you know, what we sometimes call perennial so so tree crops and vines um, that are making up a much larger share of the overall acreage. And that's because they do really well in California and they're actually irrigated extremely efficiently. Um, and they make good money for the water and the other resources that are put into it. So, so growers today are bringing in several times more um, revenues and profits and, and resources for the, for the economy with the same drop of water than they were a few decades ago, and that's because of these these shifts. Um, I see. So I think you know people are a little unfair with almonds. <laughs> I so I, I guess you're saying that it's it's how much money you make for the amount of water you're going to use anyway. So you may as well use it on a crop that brings in more money for that amount of water. I think the question is, does having thirsty plants drive greater water use by by farmers? And are you saying, Ellen Hennick, that that generally is no? The, the, it's, the, the, the one issue is that in a dry year when you have less water, if you've got tree crops, it's very costly to not water them, you know, because they'll die 
And, and so that means that growers who do have tree crops have to really scramble to get water on their fields. And in places like uh, where Don is, where there's a critically overdrafted groundwater basin, that can lead to too much groundwater pumping. So mm. that's, to me, the big concern. It's not that the, the, they need water per se. It's that, that sometimes that can lead to decisions that aren't sustainable over the long run. Well, I understand that we've got a big almond grower on the line with us, Stuart Wolf, president and CEO of Wolf Farming and Processing in Fresno, California. Stuart Wolf, thanks so much for joining Forum. Well, thank you for having me. In addition to almonds, what else do you grow? Uh, we grow, we have some pistachios, processing tomatoes, garlic, onion, grains. Uh, we have some wine grapes, but those are kind of our primary crops. And, and what has this year been like for you, Stuart? Well, I think Ellen mentioned it uh, as a grower out here, you're used to cycles um, and th this, is, this is a tough cycle we're going through. And so we've had to make some kind of difficult decisions like pulling out almond trees uh, mm -hmm. prematurely. You know, normally they would last 20, 25 years. And we pulled some out recently that were about 15 years old simply because we were looking at the uh, incremental cost of trying to get water to them if we could get it and just came to the conclusion that when you kind of worked out all the economics and looked at the orchard itself, we'd be better off uh, pulling the trees out early and uh, quite frankly, using what water we had on our tomato crop. And so say a little bit more about where you get your water, what your allocations were this year, and how you are dealing with lower allocations. Yes. Yeah, so I'm in the same boat with Joe. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. We're in the uh, Westlands Water District or junior rights holders. So our water typically gets cut first. And um, we're out in the middle. Uh, again, mostly in Fresno County, we have some properties outside of the region but um, again, our surface water uh, was taken to zero. We have maintained uh, some wells in the area. You know, traditionally in dry years, we'd lean into our wells. And years ago, when we had adequate surface supplies, we would then recharge our aquifers. But we're seeing the loss of our surface supplies now. And that is, you know, basically exacerbating the, the issues with groundwater out here. So, Joe Dalboski, what would you like to see in terms of the the state and other efforts? Uh, you mentioned earlier transfers, but are there other things that you feel like you'd like to see at the state level happen with regard to to water and water allocation? Well, definitely in the short run, um, transfers would help get us out of this uh, predicament that we're in now, um, streamlining them. Um, it takes months to get a, a transfer approved. And even when you have them approved, sometimes they're, they're still held up. Uh, so that, you know, streamlining that would be certainly great. Um, also, I think uh, for places like Don, uh, where Don is, where he can recharge groundwater, we should, facilitate storm flows to go to places like like Don's or maybe even in our area to find places where we can recharge, recharge groundwater. And, and I think that process, and Don, I'm sure Don can talk to that 
uh, issue better than me. I think that needs to be facilitated. And, and then in the long run, you know, I just got to gotta think that we have to have more storage. Mm-hmm. And I know there's, there's a lot of opposition to storage, but as we go in, into the future and, and climate change possibly means less snowpack and more rainfall, then we're losing the snowpack component of our storage. That, that's a huge component of our storage because the snow sits up there in the mountaintops and, and, and it's water stored until it trickles down. Um, today, we're getting more rain, it seems, and, and that's not stored up in the mountains. That needs to come down and be, and, and be stored here. Uh, so I think that there are some projects that could be done fairly easily uh, something as simple as raising San Luis Reservoir 15 feet or whatever would gain some storage um, and so on. So I, I think we have to look at all of these things because in the future, um, our, our storage may may not be adequate for the state. Similarly, Ellen Hennick, this listener, David, writes, why are we not doing more to capture and store rainwater? Well, well, the good news is that we actually are real. There's a lot of increased interest and projects happening in a lot of places now to to capture more water in wet years and get it into the ground. Um, there are also some projects; those are bigger and harder to to get off the ground, or they take time longer time. But there are projects to increase the surface storage too. The recharge, groundwater recharge, is just taking taking over really like wildfire in uh, up and down the Central Valley. Um, in, in a year like this, there's not much you can do, right? You kind of have to have the, the rains come in order to make that happen. And, and some of the near-term improvements we can make to increase the kinds of efforts like Don is talking about um, and is doing in his area are improving our conveyance, we, uh, the, the water canals and, and pipelines and, and aqueducts that we've got. We've got, we've got a, some of them need repair and upgrade in order to get water to places where you can recharge it. And then we've also got work to do on the approval side of the sort of the regulatory side to permit that and make it possible when the water is available after a big storm, it has to move quickly to, to get approval so that you can get that water in the ground. Well, let me go to caller Oliver in San Jose. Hi, Oliver. Hey, good morning. Um, thank you for taking my call. I uh, just wanted to ask your guests how much they typically would pay for water when they did get their allotments. Um, and then now that they are not getting their allotments because they're junior water rights holders, um, how much they're paying um, now. Um, hmm. And then also, you know, for the more senior water rights holders, you know, um, are the rates different um, and are they always guaranteed water? Thank you. Uh, thanks, Oliver. Stuart, you want to take that? Sure. So in a normal year in Westlands, our surface water, you know, we end up paying about $250 an acre foot. Now, remember, this water, this is not really treated water. It comes out of a, a large spigot, so it's not something coming out of a faucet, a regular. And in a year like this, um, if you can find it, if you can actually buy it, you know, we're thinking in terms of like 2000 to $2,500 per acre foot. And, and that's on an incremental basis. Pumping costs are closer to that 250. Let me, let me back up on the surface water. When you have uh, a year where maybe you're only getting five or 10% of your allocation, 
you the water districts have to absorb all their overhead costs in the water and the, the price that they deliver it at. So you can have surface water, uh, you know, that you receive that costs, you know, $400, $500, the incremental cost being much, much higher, and then pumping right now being a little bit less. And, and people sell water, right? They sell their allocations to, um, and, and to what degree do, does that make more sense financially for them or, or is it kind of a wash in terms of what it is they could make selling their crop, Stuart Wolf? Okay, well, you know, it depends uh, what kind of crops you have. And, and if you have investments and say you have a pistachio orchard that's worth, you know, forty-five to $50,000 an acre, you're probably going to be inclined to protect that investment. Um, if you have kind of tough ground and it's not, you know, the best ground suited for farming, you may be better off selling your water to a neighbor. Uh, we recently uh, sold some groundwater to uh, uh, a neighbor of ours who had citrus um, that uh, they were, they had a problem with their well or what have you. And uh, we just passed along the water, not at a profit or anything, but he's a friend and a neighbor. We just passed a couple hundred acre feet, you know, at cost. And, and he was so moved by it that we didn't, you know, like overcharge him. Uh, he got kind of emotional. So it, it just changes and it varies. Uh, but if you're, if you're swapping groundwater, it's gotta be with somebody that's in close proximity mm. and there's really not much in the way of surface water to be trading right now. Stuart Wolf is president and CEO of Wolf Farming and Processing in Fresno, California. We've got Don Cameron with us, vice president and general manager of Terranova Ranch in Helm, and Joe L. Delboski, CEO of Delboski Farms in Fireball, California. Also with us is Ellen Hennig, vice president and director of the Public Policy Institute of California's Water Policy Center, a senior fellow at the Public Policy Institute of California. We're talking with them and we're talking with you, our listeners, about how farmers are dealing with the drought, how it's affecting them and the steps they're taking to contain whatever damage is being created this year. And you can join the conversation at 866-733-6786, 866-733-6786. You can email us, forum at kqed.org. You can get in touch on Twitter or Facebook. We're at KQED Forum. We'll have more after the break. I'm Mina Kim. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking about the drought's impact on agriculture with Joe Dalboski of Dalboski Farms, Don Cameron of Terranova Ranch, Stuart Wolf of Wolf Farming and Processing, and Ellen Hennick of the Public Policy Institute of California. You, our listeners, are with us, and let me go straight to some more calls. We've got quite a few coming in still. Joy in Avila Beach, join us. Hi, Joy. 
Hi. Um, normally I email you, but it hasn't worked for me for the last couple of days, so you get to hear me in person. <laughs> Yay! <laughs> and while I was waiting, uh, a second thought came to me. I initially called about a program that I, I, don't, I forgot the program, but on NPR I heard the other day that alfalfa grown in California is sold to feed cattle in China, even now during this drought, and somehow that doesn't seem right to me. And the thought that came to me while I was waiting was, um, based on the different things that I was hearing during my wait, there is uh, a program in Peru where they capture fog. It's called Fog Catchers, and it was initially an invention of an American NGO. And I'm thinking, I don't know about the rest of the state, but here in Avila Beach there's all kinds of fog, and somebody in California needs to be looking into fog catching. Well, Joy, there's a couple of things you raised there, but let me go to Ellen Hannock about just this question of alfalfa being grown in China, because we're getting several questions about how much of California's water is used to grow crops that are exported to other countries. Tom writes, isn't this essentially the same as exporting our water? So Ellen Hannock, curious if you could give us some sense of that. So... You know, California has a, a large agricultural sector. Um, we're very productive and we grow a lot of crops and they, it, it, we're an important exporter of, of a lot of commodities too. Um, you know, I guess you could say, yes, it means we're exporting water, but we import water every day. Everything you buy um, <laughs> that comes from somewhere else, water was used somewhere in the production process. So I, I think uh, the the sort of, idea of, of that we could save water more by, by not exporting it. It, it, it's, it's not that helpful when you think about um, sort of the role of water in, in the economy and, and the fact that beyond the, the few gallons that we each need to, to drink um, in a day, you know, so much of the water that we use is, is for our economy and our business. And, and in that sense, it's really, are we using it in a smart way? Are we getting more dollars per drop? And, um, you know, that's where California has been making huge progress over, over time. Well, Mark writes, how much agriculture will California ultimately lose as aridification, not drought, continues to advance in the West? Where will the agriculture migrate to and how will that affect our food systems and local communities? Aridification, um, Ellen Hennick? So... You know, I guess that's a that's a sort of fancier word for saying it's getting it's getting drier uh, as it's getting hotter. Um, we don't know actually. The climate models are not um, pointing generally toward California becoming get, getting less precipitation. What that what we're seeing is you know as as Joe pointed out, we're getting less snow and more rain. Uh, when we do get water, we're getting bigger storms, sort of flashy. It's getting flashier than, than than in the past. So that means that the water that we do get, it's more challenging to store it. And we definitely need to work on replacing what the snowpack was doing for us for free. Um, but the heat itself is making things drier and making droughts more intense. And that is going to probably cause some shifting of where some crops are grown. Um, the bigger thing I think for California in terms of acreage is getting these groundwater basins into balance so that we have groundwater around for the long term. And so the, the efforts that Don mentioned in his basin, you know, that's also an issue where Stewart and Joe are, are, are growing. It's an issue throughout much of the Central Valley is bringing supply and demand into balance over time 
And some of that is about getting more water into the ground. And some of it is about managing demand. And probably in the San Joaquin Valley, we're looking at about a half a million acres coming out of production over time. So about 10% of the farmland in the San Joaquin Valley will probably not be irrigated 20 years from now. Hmm. But even before then, Don Cameron, you have been pointing to and alluding to big changes or potentially big impacts in our our food supply and potentially in prices. Can you talk a little bit about what you see as the effects? Sure. Um, we're already seeing price increases of 15 to 25 percent for the fall planted crops. Um, there's a competition um, by our buyers to secure uh, what they need for next year. I mean, we, we, we're planning already, you know, we've been planning for some time for what we're going to be growing next year. And we know that if we really, even if we get to uh, the end of December and there really isn't much of a snowpack, a grower is not going to put seeds in a greenhouse to plant tomatoes, let's say, um, for next year's crop. Um, and we're coming off a year, a very tight year where uh, the supply is already reduced. So, you know, this coming winter is going to be absolutely critical, um, but you're definitely going to see higher food prices without question um, for things that are grown within California. And if, if uh, you know, if we don't see uh, adequate snowpack, um, this will, this will continue into 2023. Uh, with limited products uh, possible on, you know, on your food shelf. We're, we're growing food here for people. And uh, I think that is uh, sometimes forgotten, but, uh, you know, if we don't have the water to produce a crop, uh, someone is going to be short. Don, how much are you hearing from farmers who are thinking about just retiring, getting out altogether? Um, I guess right now there's more farms for sale uh, that I've seen in, in the time I've been farming. Um, people understand that there are changes, uh, and for a lot of reasons they're 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 getting out of farming, or they're trying to get it out of farming. It's more difficult to sell a piece of farmland with uh, without a adequate uh, water supply um, that we're faced with during a drought. So. Uh, there is property changing hands, and uh, Stuart might be able to talk more about that. His some of the neighbors in his region, but uh, we're also seeing smaller farms that, uh, and, and that, but getting out. But that that tends to be more of uh, more of the regulations that are affecting small farms that uh, they're having a difficult time keeping up with. Stuart, in your case, it sounds like you're you're trying a lot of either new crops or even solar panels. Is that right? Uh, yes. So <clears throat> just going back, you know, Helen, excuse me, Ellen said that, uh, you know, she thought the acreage could decrease by about 10% the irrigated land here. And I think it's greater in, in our area. But so where my father, when he was here farming and he had plentiful surface supplies, he was he was trying to figure out how do I optimize the lands that I'm irrigating, what crops to grow and what have you. And I think my, my charge right now is to try to figure out 
you know, how do I optimize the lands that I'm likely going to be following? And so we are looking at, um, you know, like industrial solar as kind of a new crop. Um, you know, we, we are leasing ground, putting solar projects out there. Um, you know, like we have one breaking ground in November, it'll be about 1300 acres. So we're covering up some very productive and diverse farmland with a lease, but we're generating some rental income and we'll take uh, what water allocations we have on those lands and use them on our, the properties that we are irrigating. We're looking at some alternative crops. I'm experimenting. I happen to be a tequila drinker, so I'm planting some agave. Um, uh, we're also, as, as Don has done, we've uh, partnered with uh, some other neighbors and taken part of our property to set it aside as a water bank. So when those flood flows do show up and we have access to water, we'll be sinking it in the ground. Um, you know, and, and we honestly, we've looked at other parts of the state where there's better groundwater or better rights, and we've actually developed and invested in some uh, properties and those other areas to all try to mitigate, you know, the pressure that we have here in Western Fresno County. So you're hopeful. I mean, you're putting a lot of energy into to trying to figure out a new new way, new crops, new ways to use land. Well, you know, we know that we're not going to be able to farm all of our property. And so we're trying to figure out, again, how do we optimize what water we do have? Uh, I want to pass this on to another generation. It's just a different challenge. Uh, it's, it's a daunting challenge. But, you know, I, uh, we're not ready to throw in the towel and leave. But I think long term, what's going to happen, we will gravitate to more crops that are just specialty crops that are unique to California that will likely go up in value and we'll be growing fewer acres of lower value crops or water intensive crops like alfalfa or cotton or grains and what have you. I think our, our cropping patterns and the percent of acres of permanent crops that represent hard demand, I think that will change over time. Well, we've gotten so many comments on almonds that I think I, I need to share a few more. Uh, Cameron writes, your guests are spouting mistruths about almonds. Almonds just should not be grown in California. They use a tremendous amount of water, employ few workers, are an export crop, and the vast majority of almond acreage is owned by large investors. Most almond trees were planted after California drought conditions were very apparent. Almonds are a major part of the California water problem. James writes, almonds get a bad rap. We should compare their water use versus the beef industry, calorie to calorie and water to water. Ellen Hennick wanted to just give you a chance to respond to to the almonds comment one one more time before I go to our cutaway. So, um, yeah, almonds take water. All the crops take water. Some crops take more than almonds per acre. Some take less. Um, what really matters for you when we're talking about water used in business and farming as a business and is what are you, how much money is, the, is that water making for the, for the economy? And almonds create a, a lot of value added for, for the California economy. There's processing there, you know, beyond what, what happens on the, on the fields. So um, it, it's an economic decision. And I, you know, I think you're going to see probably, um, 
not a whole lot of expansion of almond acreage for that economics reason. And that's part of that is the water availability. Part of it is at some point, probably we're going to stabilize world, world demand for California almonds and it's not going to be uh, c continuing to grow in, in, in price. But um, I, I think we just got to think about farming as a business and the water used in farming is, is a business input. We're talking with Ellen Hannig of PPIC and Central Valley Farmers, Stuart Wolf, Don Cameron, and Joe Dalboski. Today is also the second annual California Public Radio Day. 30 stations across the state are part of this effort. And for more information about how to support them, stay tuned to the station or visit your station's website. I'm Mina Kim. So Joe Dalboski, I wanted to ask you, um, what worries you most? I know that this has been a tough year, but it sounds like you're really worried about next year. Absolutely worried about next year, because at the end of this year, which our water year ends um, October 1st, our reservoir is going to be at some of the lowest levels they've ever been. And that means we're going to start off next year, unless we get a really wet winter, we're going to start off in a very uh, serious condition. Um, and of course, all farmers are watching the weather and watching the hydrology. Uh, so definitely, definitely concerned. What can we do? We some of us have permanent crops, some have um, have annual crops. But one thing I'd like to say about our annual crops, like our melons, um, they're not perennial crops, but they're perennial programs. We grow melons uh, for some very good markets. We have some market share with our melons. It's something that we we need to protect. And if we if we do not plant our melons, we lose our market share. And not only that. We lose our, our very skilled workforce that has been with us for decades. Um, we have people who work in our harvest that have been with us for many years and, and have, have done this job very well. So, you know, just because we have annual crops doesn't mean that they're that easy to fallow. And, uh, and so that concerns me. If we, have, if, if we are not able to plant melons next year, we're basically out of that, out of that program. Don Cameron, how optimistic are you that we'll get our groundwater issues under control? Well, we have sustainable groundwater management that was passed in 2014, and um, the critically overdrafted basins have had a plan submitted to the state, um, let's say in January of 2020. And we're now in the process of implementation. And yeah, there's going to be some, there are some real hard decisions that will be made. And you know, the state left this at the local level and you've got growers and water districts involved and we will get to, to sustainability. Um, we have to, you know, I've, I've realized for many, many years that uh, we had to do something about declining uh, groundwater. And so we, we took it upon ourselves to uh, get involved early on and put a project, a large project together that when it's complete, we'll, we'll actually serve 30,000 acres. So we know that uh, we know we have to capture flood water when it is available. It comes quick, it comes fast, and we need to be ready. Now, let's face it, during the drought is when we need to be building the infrastructure for flood water capture. This, this regulation, Ellen Hannock, that uh, Don Cameron is talking about, it, it really, as he's saying, is just getting off the ground in terms of trying to address groundwater depletion. I imagine just the timing of us having this kind of a drought has, has just been really hard for farmers. 
Yeah, it's been it's 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 really bad luck to have another big drought so soon after the the beginning of the implementation of this law. What would have been great is five nice wet years so people could get the groundwater basins replenished. You know, they still ha aren't back up to where they were at the last drought. And the the really, you know, a, a near-term worry beyond beyond the ones that we've been hearing from the from the growers in, in, in this uh, discussion is that in some places there are a lot of folks who rely on on shallow wells for their drinking water. And so you're seeing those some of those wells go dry and that that's a real challenge in in a number of basins and and, and an urgent thing to address uh, really with a kind of all hands on deck approach with lo locals chipping in to help make find solutions but also state funding is is coming in to help with that too well Stuart wolf did you want us did you want to leave us with a final thought in terms of how what you're really watching this winter and and next year as as it really does determine what kinds of decisions you're going to make with regard to the investments on your farm? Well, I think just generally most growers, you know, given the circumstances, you have to uh, basically think the worst, you know, and, and hope for the best kind of thing. So, you know, I know Joe and, you know, we're, we're going to be taking um, the steps that we just assume we have another zero allocation um, or you've got to manage our wells and we're going to plan accordingly. Well, Stuart Wolf, Joe Dalboski, Don Cameron, really appreciate having all of you on sharing your experiences with us today. Thank you. And also my thanks to Alan Hennick, Vice President and Director of the PPIC Water Policy Center. Susan Britton and Caroline Smith produced today's segment. You've been listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio, the Germanicos Foundation, and the Generosity Foundation, and the Bernard Osher Foundation, supporting higher education and the arts. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall -wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall -wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall -wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary all over the country. We need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening 
because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.